0: I'm Megan Armstrong and this is the 6 feet above podcast. 6 feet above was created when I started to share my story of spending 16 years wanting to be 6 feet under to now living a life full and happy 6 feet above. The more I started to talk about it, my struggles, my past, the more I realized that people were genuinely interested and not judgmental at all, which is what I feared for so long. And in fact, Other people wanted to talk about their story as well, and for some reason, trusted me to do so. So the Six Feet Above podcast is my way of helping to share other people's stories, finding out what works for them to create a life of happiness. Before we start this episode, I wanted to let you know that it has some explicit language and some very serious subject matter. It may be triggering or sensitive to certain people. Please listen with discretion. This is Garrett's story. So Garrett has been working at DDP Yoga since he moved to Atlanta six and a half years ago. And it has taken me six years to get my butt over to see him. When I did some research on DDP Yoga, I found it so fascinating. And we'll get more into, you know, your story and why you moved here. But this is yoga that anyone can do. And I am talking about anyone and the reason that you got involved in it is because when we met in LA, there was a lot more Garrett. Yes. Um, you were 400 pounds when I we met? I would say
1: easily between the years, it was probably between 350 and 400. Okay. Yeah.
0: All right, and now you are?
1: I'm like right around two 280. Okay. So I, I go up and down, yes. and that's my story. You know, everyone has like a start and finish, and I'm kind of a roller coaster and everything like that, but yeah. Um, so down about one hundred twenty.
0: So you got involved in DDP yoga because, basically, Dim- Diamond Dallas Page found you.
1: Yeah, it was a, it was a. I met our, our my good friend Tony Moser and Marco Manone. They were on a movie set that Dallas was the main villain for, called Pizza Man, and. Marco was one of the writers, and he was assigned to Dallas to not only help with the writing, but then also, since Dallas has dyslexia, uh, every day after set, Dallas would come over, or he would invite Marco over, and they would go over scripts on how to read and everything like that, long dialogue and everything, how to overcome all that stuff. And they became friends, and then they had Moser come in to just do a little bit part. And Moser knew how much of a wrestling fan I was, so he was just like, ask Dallas, is it okay if my buddy Garrett comes over for dinner one night and Dallas said is Garrett a weird wrestling fan or is he normal? And <laughs> he goes, he's a wrestling fan but he's pretty normal relatively when it comes oh, to stuff. Like- yeah, 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 exactly. Um, and so he goes, yeah, sure. So when he, he invited me over, he he cooked a gluten-free meal. You know, we got to take pictures and everything like that. It was a, it was an amazing evening and then we were afterwards in
0: Dallas's house.
1: In Dallas's house in, in LA. Yeah, in the, in the Palisades. So- and he was just like, are you happy with your weight? And I said, of course not.
0: Like he literally just came out and said that didn't even know you
1: didn't even know me. And then he goes, I'll be right back. He brings a big photo album and just starts turning pages and he starts just saying, this is so-and-so they've lost a hundred pounds. This is so-and-so, this is so-and-so just knew all their stories inside and out. So it was already in the process of going, but he hadn't gone full force into it. It's always been his vision. And I just, what I what I took from it is he wasn't selling me on stuff. He was, these were all friends and family that were like kind of guinea pigs in order to do this. Yeah. And he goes, okay, I'm going to give you the program for free. So he I, he, I have like the first edition stuff of DDP Yoga. He goes, I'm going to give it to you for free, but you have to do it. Sure. Well, I have a, a celebrity telling me this. Okay, sure. Take pictures, go home, post about it. Met Diamond, Dallas Page. And then... Put it on the desk and it just kind of collected dust dust for about two weeks. And then I got a call, block number, pick it up. Hey bro, you doing the program? (laughs) Oh yeah, 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 okay, cool. Meet me in the park, you know, blah, blah, blah this weekend. So now I'm thinking like, oh my God. So he took me through, I made it to about seven minutes and then I was done. So he looked at me and he goes, all right, so now do you want to do it now? Yeah. So, you know, and all this stuff had happened like just for timing and reasons and everything like that. Like the band had just broke up. I was at the crossroads. I didn't know what I was gonna do. So it's just like, it just happened that I met Dallas. It was just one of those things where I'm like, what's next? Right? Yes. Yeah. And, um, and I think it's just, it just happened for a reason. And I lost 20 pounds pretty quickly. And then he goes, did you take your six pictures and do all your documentation? No. You gotta do it. He goes, you're, you're not, you're not gonna regret it. This is the thing where, if you, if you see your before and then you see your after, man, it's gonna be amazing. And if you start to go and you get that plateau and everything like that, look at those pictures again because you're still gonna see how far you came right. along. Right. That's gonna be a great reminder. So I took the pictures even though I was 20 down, and within, so total it took about 10 months that I lost 100 pounds. That's amazing. And he, the thing about Dallas is he was constantly calling and just checking in because uh, for about three months he was still there, but then he moved out to Atlanta, restarted everything out here, um, and but he always would checking in on me, just texting me, calling me, and he does that for everybody. Back in the day, now it's it's gotten to be such a big thing, right? But he still would do that. Like he had his list of people that he would just text. How are you doing? How's it going? he truly cared. He truly cares. and he still does. Yeah. yeah. And it's just like, but back, he still does it every once in a while. But back in the day, he would just look at his sales for the day, randomly pick 10 people and call them, have a bunch of people hang up on him. Like, hey, this is Diamond Dallas Page. Yeah, whatever. And then hang <laughs> up on him. And, um, but then he would call him back. No, 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 don't hang up. But, you know, that's, and that's his thing. This has been his passion. Even when he was wrestling, you know, he created this program not to lose weight. He created it to help his back and everything because they said his career was over. So when he was doing it back in the day and all the other wrestlers were making fun of him.
0: For those that don't know, Diamond Dallas is a former pro wrestler. Mm -hmm. He basically busted his back at the height of his career. Mm -hmm. And every single doctor was like, you're done. You're done. He was like, no, I'm not taking that. And just came out with a book called relentless and i mean he is relentless um so he created this yoga program that anyone and everybody can do whether you're 400 pounds or whether you you know got physical um ailments where yep. you physically feel like you can't do it there's all these modifications so garrett jumped into this program but i want to back up a little bit more mm-hmm. i want to find out why you got to 350 400 pounds And were you a heavy kid? Did you go through some trauma through your life? Like what, and obviously it's not one thing, right? It kind of piles on, but what do you think if you could kind of pinpoint where it all started, where that would be?
1: So I've I've lived a very blessed life. I am, I have such a great family, great support system. My parents are amazing. You know, I've always had that support and everything like that, but I've always been the overweight kid, and 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 even when I look back on my old pictures, I was like, I was overweight, but it wasn't like morbidly obese. Okay. It was okay. just like out of the group of kids and everything like that, I was the one that was a little bit overweight. Yeah. And the thing that was, I was really lucky that I, when I coach people right now and I tell people is, luckily I was never bullied. Mm. I was never picked on. I think there were two reasons why. Number one, I tended to really get along with everybody. Like in schools, I I, I would mix with all the cliques. But I think two is that defense mechanism of I would beat everyone to the punchline right. before okay. that that kind of that uh, that clown mentality hide behind the smile and you know so no one really made fun of me and I was I always had a great group of friends. Fast forward to and this is something that I've talked to you about.
0: Which is, I first have to just preface this with thank you for talking about what we're going into because it takes a lot. It takes a lot to say it out loud. It takes a lot to record it. It takes a lot to basically say, this is what I went through. But how brave someone is, is a testament to where they are these days. And and if we could help one or two people, then right, we've right. done our job. So.
1: Um, so- after I had graduated high school, and so my first job was Blockbuster Video. So that'll date me. You get some of the new kids; they're like, "What's Blockbuster?" I'm like, take-. Our "Producer
0: DeNora doesn't even know oh, Blockbuster."
1: Man. Is. I'm like, "Take take the red box and make it a big building that you can walk in and actually and blue see-. and yellow, right? Yeah, right, yeah, right, right, yeah. Right. yeah. Um, So I, I had that job when I was in uh, in high school and everything, and um, I worked for the company for about four and a half, five years, uh-huh. and. Um, I'll just say the, the, the thesis statement and we'll go into the details, but I was held up at gunpoint, but when I tell people, it's not just like someone comes in that you get the money and they leave. Like I was held hostage for about 15 minutes, handcuffed and everything. So
0: they came into your, how old were you again?
1: I was right around 20. Okay. So you
0: were in college. Mm -hmm. They came into your apartment.
1: No, no, no. It was at work. It was at work. We, oh, at work. We, we figured that it was an inside job, not a current employee. Oh. But the week before, because we're in the summertime, the week before, it was like, okay, guys, we're doing budget cuts. Managers are going to work nine to five. Your first um, customer service person is coming in at four. Okay. So from nine to four, you're going to be by yourself. Oh. And so it was like a, it was a Wednesday. It was, so it was the middle of the middle of the week and everything like that. And it was right around noon. And you had the normal lunch people normal lunch crowd <clears throat> and um didn't think of any, anything of it and there's about 10 people and then people just started kind of filtering in and out and uh, a guy walked in and he was wearing one of those jumpsuits kind of like uh your you know just full green jumpsuit yeah and S- and a ski, weight belt
0: ski mask or like, no no him? no
1: no he he was in looking at movies oh okay. yeah it, that's that's what it was and then So as people were kind of slowly going away, I just realized it was just either him and one other person. And he came over to me and he's just like, hey, I need some help looking for a certain Japanese animation film, no problem. So I went behind the counter and started coming over and looking and what he did was he got me away from the cameras so that I'm on the floor now. And when he talked to me initially, it was very, he was fine, even keel and everything like that. Now that I'm out there, his voice changed. I go, is it this one? He's like, no, is it this one? No. And now his voice is getting shaky, and he goes, uh, "I gotta tell you something. I gotta show you something." So he hands me this this piece of paper, and he's shaking. So I look at it; it's complete chicken scratch, and it just says, "I have a gun. We're gonna go in the back. We're gonna empty out the safe. If there's if I see any cops or anything like that, you're gone. I'm gone." So then, out of the weight belt, he pulls or like the little belt, he takes out a gun and puts it in my back. So he said, turn around, puts a gun in my back, and then we start to head towards the back into the, where the, where, you know, we have the safe and everything back in the back room and everything. And so I hate the fact that back in the day, and I don't know if this was common for retail, you couldn't just put in the safe code and just open it up. For security purposes, you would have to put in the code, wait 10 minutes, put in the code again, and then open it. Oh, really? Yeah. So you just sat there waiting. So that day... So we go back there and that day out of all the days I couldn't find the key to change the surveillance camera tape. I just remember that morning like, "Why? It's always the key's always right there. What's going on?" So when we go back there, he goes, "I'm going to need this everything out of the safe and I'm going to need the security camera tape." And I'm like, "Well, I can't find I can't find the tape." And he goes, "Well, that's going to be a problem." So I'm just thinking like, "Okay." So he handcuffs me. So I'm like in a chair like this and he handcuffs me. And then he says, all right, give me the code. So I give him the code, he puts it in wrong. So it has a different beep. Tell him the code again, puts it in wrong. I tell him, if you put in the code wrong for the third time, it's gonna lock, like for an hour. So I'm like, if you want, you can uncuff me and I'll put it in. He goes, no, just tell me. So I told him really slowly and he put it in, and it was fine. Um, in the meanwhile, you know, we're able to look at the cameras and see who's coming in and out. And so some people are coming in and out. So he puts, he goes, do you have any spare Blockbuster shirts on? So I go, there's some in this locker. So he puts on a shirt. He tells me, he me what my code is. I tell him he goes out there and rings people out. What? So it was an inside job. He had either worked for the company before or something like that. But yeah, he knew what he was doing. Yeah. I mean, I go. It must have been weird to see a guy in a full jumpsuit, but then wearing like a blockbuster shirt. But he's ringing people right, out,
0: right? And no one's no. The counter's up here at that right? point, so you probably yeah. can't see.
1: So, um. He comes back, and now he's just pointing the gun at me, and I think I was getting. Obviously, you're in shock, and you're, you're you don't know what's processing or anything like that. And he was just like, um. So no one's coming in. I said, not until four. And this is like noon, 1230. And he goes, if I see cops or if I see another employee, I shoot you and then I shoot myself. And then because he goes on the three strike rule, I'm at two strikes. So I don't really have anything to live for all after right. that. So I'm like, okay. Um, So in the meanwhile, he helps out some more customers, comes back. Now, all of a sudden, I'm looking and I, he starts, he goes, so you can't find the key. I said, no. So he grabs a broom. And just starts bashing in this bulletproof glass, trying to open it up. Now what he's doing is, he's hitting it so hard that I'm looking at the camera. The new release movies are flying off the wall because he's hitting it so hard. Uh, I see a regular customer. She walks in. She sees that. And then she walks out. So at that point, I think I'm dead. Because she's probably going to call the cops. She's probably going to do whatever. Right. So I have that going on now. Um, And so... The safe beeps open or beeps. So he has to put in the code again. He opens it up. You know, we have like $1,000 that you're supposed to have in there. But we have petty cash up front. We have tills up front with the sure. money in it. So there was probably about 160 bucks in there between change and a couple straight bills. So he's like, what the, you know, what the F, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I go, we can go up there. We can empty out everything up there. Just tell me what you want. He goes, no. He goes, it's too late. So he said, put your head down. So I put my head down on the desk and then he put the gun right in my head. And I closed my eyes and then he just says, open your hand. I go, what do you mean? He goes, open your hand. So I opened my hand and then he put the handcuff key in my hand and then he said, count to a thousand, don't cheat, count to a thousand. So I said, okay. And then he left. And then he escaped by foot. So I watched him as he was going and he would, he was by foot. So I counted to a thousand, (laughs) (laughs) wasn't going to cheat that. And by the time I got up, I had to go and jump up and get the door so I can get it open. And then that regular customer ran in, uncuffed me. And I said, why didn't you call the cops? She said, I don't know why she goes, I got in my car. I parked across the street and I just sat there and I waited.
0: So she see him come out.
1: She saw him come out. And then that's when she goes, I knew I was able to come back in Holy crap! and I go, well, you just saved my life. And so called my, just called my manager, called district manager, called the police. And I was fine. I was very stoic. I was very obviously still in shock. It was when I called my mom is when I just lost it. Yeah. You know? And, uh, She, uh, she called, she wasn't able to get me, but she goes, I'm going to call one of your best friends. They're going to come pick you up. So pick me up. And it was, it was one of those things. It was really like out of the movies. Like I really, when I was driving, he was driving me back to my place. I was just like looking and seeing the sun, hearing birds sing. And it really made me really think about things in a different way. Um, and, uh, Coming to find out, they, because what I did was I didn't necessarily quit, but I, I opted out not to get counseling. I think that's a stubborn, semi-arrogant twenty-year-old yeah. who just didn't think he needed it. Mm-hmm. And I would, just didn't want any help. And uh, what they did was they go, what do you want to do? And I, so I initially quit, but then I they offered me a position where I was going to go to other stores to help um, build and open up new stores. Uh-huh. So I didn't have to do anything customer-based. So I can just go as a consultant and everything. And th- later down the line, they found the guy. Um, he was only hitting Hollywood videos and Blockbuster videos. That's the only thing he would hit. And so, yeah, I mean, he got his third strike. Uh, they finally caught him. Wow. Um, and
0: you say that you are okay. You're like, you know, I went, I left, I was okay until I talked to my mom and, and I refused the counseling. And now, you know, looking back how traumatic or how influential was that one afternoon, not even an hour and a half probably on your life.
1: So it, It was after that, when it came to my education, that it, everything really, I really hit rock bottom. So, you know, in school I was A, B student, you know, three, seven, and I went to community college and everything, and I just wanted to do a couple things before I really moved on. And I think to go from an A, B student to where the first week and a half was night terrors and nightmares, and um, then it turned into insomnia. So I would go sometimes three, four, five, six days without sleeping to where I I, I flunked out of all my classes um, because what I did was mom and dad are just like, have a good day and I'd get in my car, drive my car to, to, to school, park like at like 8.30. I have class till nine trying to find parking. And then I'd be like, okay, well I'm just gonna, um, I'm gonna set my alarm for like 8.55 and just close my eyes for a little bit and what would happen, and this happened I, way more than I like to admit, is I would wake up, it'd feel warm in the car, and my class was at nine, and it'd be like two thirty in the afternoon wow. because I just passed out after four or five days. Not I missed sleeping. missed like two or three classes, right. getting the car or just start my car back up, go back home. Pa- parents like, how was school? Fine.
0: So they had no idea you were going through this.
1: They they had no idea, and I was. I was doing the whole thing of protecting and not, you know, and again, as 41 now, yes. now yes. there's so many things, obviously there's so many things I would have done different. And, but they did everything they could have. They did everything they could have at the moment with what I provided for them. um, And they put me into counseling. Finally, I, I was like, you're right. I need to, because at that point, I think I broke down to them just saying like, I got D's and F's. I'm I my educational career is over. Yeah. And I know it's not. Right. But at that moment it's so traumatic and everything. And um so I went to counseling for it was like a year and a half. Yeah. But again, I felt like I was that kid in those movies where I just sat there, crossed my arms. You don't know me. Right. I don't have to tell you anything, you know, and, and this guy was so patient. He would just okay. So for, maybe for a couple months, I was just a brat. I would say some things, and then it was just one of those really epiphany moments where, like, he finally started to ask these questions that really triggered. Mm-hmm. And my my PTSD from this is, I just can't dream anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: You can't dream as in like you don't go into deep sleep anymore or. Now wow. I,
1: now I do, but. While what it was it is, happening
0: when you were going through it.
1: I still haven't had a dream. I've only had one dream since that happened in 20 years. Wow. So what they were saying is, you know, there's a blockage. Cause I feel like there are times when, as, as the time went on and the years went on, I felt like I could dream, but I feel like there, you're right there, you're right there. And then you wake up. And then you forget everything. Mm. So I would always have the pad and paper because I was like, really... I was like, being in music and acting, I was really all about the creative yeah. thing. Yeah. But the good thing is I couldn't have nightmares. So I can watch whatever scary movie or do whatever, you know? And I, I couldn't get nightmares because I can't dream. I just... I sleep in black.
0: So at what point... um you know, you say that you were angry, and you sat there with a the counselor, and you're like, oh, "I'm not gonna." You don't know me. And at what point did you finally kind of like give in? Because I'm finding that this is a theme. You're, you know, you're the the third person I've, I've talked to, and even with myself and my story, like I'm finding that there's a theme. Like it's not like a big pivotal moment, and there's no catalyst to our life. But at some point, we finally look in the mirror and we say, like. I don't want to live this way anymore. I want to change. And my parents can't want to change me. My friends can't want to. I have to. So do you remember that point?
1: There were two things. Because what happened in a session is the doctor had said he started to complete my sentences. So like, and again, when I coach people and I'm able to complete their sentences, then all of a sudden I get their trust. Right. And so I, all of a sudden I'm like, so I'm not the only one that feels like this. Right. Like he's actually completing my sentence and he goes, I know how you feel. Wow. Okay. Well, maybe I can open up to this person a little bit more. And then what he started to do now, all of a sudden he's, I'm I'm starting to let him in a little bit. Yeah. Then all of a sudden he's like, oh, you, you have a relationship problem with this person and this problem. And I'm like, whoa. Didn't even know. Didn't had no, until he said that. I'm like, well, now I'm intrigued. Yeah. Now I want to know why. And I want to get better. Yeah. So, and I mean going with him for like a year and a half and everything. And then one day I woke up and maybe this isn't the best method. One day I just said, I don't need it anymore. And I walked into his office and I said, I want to go to schedule this plan. But I went, I think I'm good. And he's just like, really? And I go, yeah. And he goes, so I've always, actually, I've always wanted to reach out to him. I still have his number and I just want to let him know where I'm at. Cause I mean, (laughs) maybe I shouldn't say this. He would say like Garrett, like he goes, I would break the the, the rule of being a, a doctor. I would go home and tell my wife about you because he goes, I'm so intrigued by you. He goes, there's so much potential that you have and all these things and everything like that. And he goes, I shouldn't talk about that with my wife or anything like that, but I just, I like you and I really want the best for you. I said, that's fine. Um, and I it, I really went from someone that just thought I'm too good for counseling to where I will really tell people yeah. It's such a good thing. And and I tell people, if you don't get the right person in the first time, go to another person. Right. Go to another person.
0: And this is why I want to do this show because I feel like something major happens. And I use this example the other week, Robin Williams, you know, he kills himself and we talk about it for a week and then it goes away. It's like, no, 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 this, th- and it doesn't have to go to that extreme. It's right. like this sort of thing happens all the time to people that are walking. I had no idea. About this story with you and how traumatic and and you know life changing it was. So the point is that we need to talk about it. You know, to whatever extreme it is, even with mine. Like I never went through anything traumatic like this, but I had a really you know long period of my life where I was very unhappy and and um, extremely depressed. But the point is, when you talk about it with people that you trust. We're at least here even if people aren't ready to talk about it but they can listen to us mm-hmm. and be like holy shit I'm not alone there are other people in the world that are going through similar circumstances that it's it makes it okay and not okay in the sense that it's okay it happened but okay that you're not alone or you're not crazy or you're not you know whatever you're going through right now you, it is more normal than people probably Mm -hmm. think. And that's where, you know, I came here to, to take a fitness class with Garrett and turns out, I think we were put on this path, not really for fitness, but for this purpose instead. Right. And it wasn't until that you trusted your counselor and you're so spot on with, if one counselor doesn't work, go see another one. Mm -hmm. It can be exhausting because it can take months, years to find somebody. I talked about this last week. Um, with medication too mm-hmm. but you have to just keep going you have to keep moving forward and and you might feel like you're stalling or plateauing and you probably talk about this with weight loss or weight gain where you feel like there's a plateau but as long and even if you feel like you're moving backwards for a week or a little while like it's okay mm-hmm. just that forward momentum and being open to talking about it talking about it is huge
1: so like when you presented to me what your podcast was about, I just thought it was perfect because even as early as this week, and it's just, it just depends on the clientele that I'm working with when I'm coaching and everything. There was one person in particular that I was saying, and they had hit plateau and everything. And we were talking about a lot of different things that she just had so many questions and everything. And I just wanted to be able to help her out just to get through these things. And I told her and she said, she goes, I Trust you out of all the other, you know, instructors because you struggle, but you're the everyman. You're not like the fitness model, the chiseled person or anything like that. And I'm like, how dare you, first of all? But, (laughs) but, you know, and so I just wanted to let her know that, like, for me, when I when I find my strides and everything like that, it's because it's what's going on between my ears. Yes. So I don't care, you know, I have Dallas and Dallas will be like a coach to me. You know, Christina who you've met, she's like a coach to me. And everyone will say you're you don't it's not that you need to work out more. Right. It's you have to look at your nutrition every once in a while. But what it is, it's the mental game. 100%. And once I let everything go, all of a sudden I would lose like fifty pounds in like four months. Yeah. And I would tell them the same thing, too. And I just said, once you get this figured out, and I said, there's another thing to where if I have issues or I have things I'm sorting through and everything like that, if I get to my goal weight, things are just going to magically be amazing. Right. You have to be able to look at, okay, well, what what, what went wrong? Huck up! I got to my goal weight? Why can't all my problems be solved? Right. There's so many things that you have to work on up here in order for everything to really pay off.
0: Yeah, I I say this all the time. Like for me, I feel like health and wellness is a triangle and it's, you know, one side is what I do with my body physically and why I do work out so much. One side is what I put in my body mm-hmm. and I had years where I was dealing with, you know, an eating disorder and the third, but like the concrete bottom level of the pyramid is what goes on upstairs. And if that is not well and healthy then nothing else matters right my physical being is nothing without that and and it's it's so difficult yet so easy because it's the one thing that we do have control over Mm -hmm. but when you are in that space and you feel like you have no control it is the most daunting yep um so how did you mentally get to a place where a you kind of got over that pst ptsd Mm -hmm. and also, you know, be where you started taking control of your weight, and like yes, like you said, that matters. But really, it's what's what's going on upstairs. So, how did everything kind of, kind of come together for you to really make um, some moves? Because, you know, I remember you when you were really heavy, but you were always kind of the the happy go lucky guy at the party. Like I didn't know that there was yeah. you know anything huge going on upstairs, but looking at you now, I'm like, Oh yeah, I I can see that. I can see where you came from and, and how far it took you to get here.
1: So, you know, after the school thing and after the counseling and everything, it was my dad's secretary saw Musicians Institute, you know, and said, you know, Garrett's really down on himself about education or anything like that, but he loves music. Like music's his first passion and everything. Maybe he should go into this. And so my dad brought it home and goes, what do you think about this? I go, wow, that's a whole, I never really thought about that. So it was initially for me to go for recording engineering. And then that's when I met. Bobby yeah there you know and then that's when we started you know that's that was my future bandmate and you know he's like my best friend and everything but like that gave me that excitement again Mm -hmm. and it was one of those things where when we were in school I got back on point because I cared I loved it I didn't have to take one of my finals because i had already aced everything because I loved it yeah you know and so from there And then after that, you get placed into these recording studios and you work, you're a runner interning for all these, I mean, the number one rule at Larrabee that I worked at was you couldn't ask for an autograph or get a picture. So what I did is I have a journal back at my parents' house and I wrote every day the experiences I had. So, I mean, I worked with like Eminem, Dr. Dre, Andre 3000, Rod Stewart, uh, I mean, I have a whole thing of all these people that I worked with. And it was like, so you got to see the people that are pretty amazing and you got to see the people that aren't amazing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd say 95% of the people are amazing. Yeah, As long as you treat them like normal people, right. they're amazing. Right. Um, but I saw the politics of the actual recording industry and it got very ugly at some points and I thought, I don't think I want to do this. And so then that's when it just kind of converted into the band. And so that's when the band stuff happening and everything like that. But I'll tell you what, and this is... I didn't really think about this until we were just talking right now. There was a party that we were at.
0: Me? You? Yeah. Oh, boy. So,
1: and there was probably some alcohol involved and everything like that. But I think for some reason, it's like... And again, me and you weren't super close, but we were very cordial and we all got along and everything like that. I think... Maybe you asked me something or I said something and you gave me advice based off of my weight and everything. Really? Yeah. I think it was at the BLA.
0: Oh, okay. I think it was
1: at the BLA and I think I was maybe down at the courtyard or something like that and we sat there and we talked for about 15 minutes and it was like this really heartfelt thing where I'm like, oh, that's cool. Like I didn't really get to know Megan, but I thought that was a really cool talk that we had because... And like you said, when we were both in LA, we were both going through stuff we didn't know about, but you were still coaching and you're still helping.
0: Yes. Which is so interesting because at the same time I was probably talking to you about health and fitness and and your body and and what you eat and Mm -hmm. and all that, like I was very much going through bulimia. Um, So here I was, you know, trying to help other people and other people trusting me when Little did they know if I had just opened up about what I was going through, maybe it would have helped even more. And and
1: that's the thing too. It's we all are better at coaching others, but applying it to ourselves. 100%. These are all such cliche things, but it's so true. Yeah, It's so true. Yeah. Or, you know, I just, or do as I say, not as I do. Exactly. A lot of those things and everything. So it's like, I think as I get older, I'm like, God, I'm starting to sound like my parents, <laughs> you know? And it's like, but that's a good thing because my parents are awesome. But yeah, there are some of those things where I'm just like, oh, man. Yeah,
0: but when you take the focus off, especially when you're going through something, and, and this is one of the things. I don't, do you remember when, like when The Secret had its like heyday 10 or 12 years ago, like mm-hmm. living in L.A.? I mean, I would listen to it right. on CD, driving around town. I was in the car five, six hours a day, and... um it would make me so angry because i'm like it's not that easy like i can't just think all these good thoughts but i faked it i tried yeah. it i did it because i'm like i'm like i don't know what else to do to get me out of this funk and it's so true what they say you know when you are going through anything especially these deep emotions mm-hmm. that you have to find some things that you are grateful for and you don't have to change everything all at once. You can't change your entire life all at once, Mm -hmm. but pick one or two things that you can actually control or actually enjoy. So for you, it was like getting into music, Mm -hmm. you know, that you had no idea it would kind of get you out of this funk, but it was like, okay, you weren't happy where you were. This thing sounded kind of interesting that, you know, your dad's secretary suggested and, and you went for it. So at that point, um, was your weight increasing throughout your 20s and 30s when you were doing the music stuff? And
1: Yeah, it, it was. So um, from there, I think in my head, there's a lot of things going right. Mm-hmm. And then the things that I didn't want to address, I just kind of just didn't address. And, you know, I feel like there were so many good people in my life there are good people in my life that I think they wanted to tell me, but they couldn't. And like, I'll, I'll just, you know, I'll just say this and it's not in a call out, but like with Bobby and everything like that, living with him and being in the band with him, he'd always he'd try just maybe you want to do this. or You want to do that? And everything I'm like, no, I don't, you know? And, and in hindsight, so now it's just like in full circle when he comes to visit and he sees me teaching a class and everything like that. I mean, it's, it's, it's just that much more special because it's just like, we can, be the dirtiest guys and everything that we can be just joking around about everything. But it's just like, I know he's like super proud just to see it come full circle and how he's just like, you're doing stuff that I can't do. And Bobby was a a health guy. You know, it was just like chicken and broccoli every night (laughs) and then doing his core exercise. And then he was doing CrossFit for a little bit. Um, and he was like, do you want to go to CrossFit? I'm like, you know what? No, because (laughs) you are so healthy and I'm sitting here at 400 pounds and like he would come home with his now wife, his girlfriend at the time. And like, Brittany would be like, Oh, um, Bobby coughed up blood today. I'm like, Oh, okay. Or Bobby blacked out for a second. And I'm like, well, he's the way he is. So if I went, do you literally just want to kill me right now? So, I mean, you know, it was one of those things where, I mean, but again, he tried everything. A lot of my friends tried everything and, but it's true. And again, another cliche thing, I can sit there and coach people and tell them everything of what to do, but until they're ready, yep. you know, and, and my whole thing is when I coach or when I teach and everything like that, I teach the way I, I don't like tough love. Right. I like to encourage. I like to have fun. I like to laugh at things and everything. So I, and I tell people if they come in, they haven't been in a while. I'm sorry. I haven't been in a while. I said, life happens. Just pick up right where you left off, you know?
0: Yeah. And isn't it funny that people apologize to you as an instructor? I'm like, hold on. Like, I'm just here for suggestions. I've been teaching fitness for 11 years and I say this all the time. I'm like, it is not my body. It is not my life, but I am here for you. Yeah. And don't apologize to me. Like, it's it's really okay. Like, now you know all the stuff I've been through. So if anyone's apologizing, it should be me. And I don't. I'm not apologetic anymore because... I had to go through all that to get to where I am today. So if you have a setback or, you know, you don't walk in the studio for a few months, like it's okay. The point is that you're doing it right now is that you're taking control of the things that you can actually change right now. Mm -hmm. And for you, it was finding this yoga, this, this method where a 400 pound person can do it. Yeah. And you know, you didn't, you didn't go the CrossFit route. You went, you went this route and that's something that like, okay, okay. I tried it and I was successful for what, seven minutes the first time? Right. And then you do it again and you're successful for eight minutes and Mm -hmm. then nine minutes. It's like you take these little baby steps and you can't look at something so big picture. You can't look at losing 200 pounds because you most likely will be unsuccessful by the setbacks. Yep. So if you look at things increment at a time, whatever that is in your life, whether it's going back to school or losing weight or you know, you're in a relationship that you want to get out of just taking those small baby steps and, and taking those one or two things that you actually have control of what you do, what you're doing with your body and what you're putting in it. And those started to kind of change your Mm -hmm. habitual mental habits. It's like, Oh, I, I never felt proud of myself or never could look in the mirror and be like, I look and feel good today. You started to feel that is what I'm guessing. So you started to think it. And then the more you start to think it, the more you wanted to do it with your body and the more weight that you started to lose. And then people started paying attention to you because you were doing it. Yeah. And then you were inspiring other people because you were an example of doing it. So it takes us into you know where we started, mm-hmm. the beginning of this whole um, podcast uh, an hour ago where you met Dallas and he encouraged you and he kind of gave you that Strength and that umph, but he gave you the outlet that you were able to be successful at, even if it was just a few minutes. So, it was up to you though to stick with it.
1: Right, and that's the whole thing too. And that's like I was gonna go back to that. It's like I'm when people come up to you, yeah. they try to tell you, "I'm sorry, I didn't come in there anything like that." Or when you flip flop it, when you they finally get success, yeah, thank you so much. If it wasn't for you, and and we would always say. It wasn't us. Right. We gave you the tools and we told you what to do. You put in the work. Exactly. You know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. So you started to lose some weight. Mm-hmm. Um, Dallas, he called you. Basically, you were still living in L.A. Mm-hmm. He had moved to Atlanta. Yeah. Built the whole uh, DDP yoga performance center or was starting his.
1: Starting it like we, he was just working out of his house. So at the time he would tell me, he's like, you know, we're bringing in, if you're familiar with wrestling, like Scott Hall, Razor Ramon and uh, Jake, the snake Roberts, those are two of the most notoriously, if there was a celebrity death pool, those two would have been on it for sure with all the demons that they've had to fight. So he brought those two in because he's very close to them and he wanted to get them sober off the drugs, off the booze. So he would always check in and tell me what's going on since he knew I liked wrestling. And then it was probably around October 2013 is when he gave me the call. Cause what uh, Moser, the one that was in the, the movie with, he offered for us to come out. He's like, just come out for like a week an extended weekend and yeah. just stay with us. We're like, oh, this is gonna be amazing. So we went out there, had a great time, did workouts and everything like that. And then after we left, I it was pretty much they wanted to just see how we were. And it was after that that he offered both of us. Um Tony had turned it down just because he was gonna move back home to Washington, but they offered me a job and said, If you want a job out here, we'd love to have you and finish your journey out with us. Yeah at the time my dad was going through a lot of heart issues, like a heart transplant stuff and everything like that. So I didn't want to necessarily go. And my, both my parents, like, you have to go, you have to. And so I, it took me a little while. It took, yeah, it (laughs) took me a little while, but January 2014 is when I made the cross country drive out here. And then, yeah, I've been with the company ever since. So, um, It's crazy.
0: So Garrett um, not only teaches a ton of classes here, but you run their social media and their PR? I
1: used to do social media. Right now, I help with PR. So PR with the Performance Center, and I help with Dallas like with all the podcasts and appearance inquiries and everything like that. So a lot of it's just going to be me doing a lot of vetting and figuring out if this is something that's a good fit. Cause I mean, he gets inquiries all the time. You get people that want to interview him for wrestling. Mm -hmm. You get people that have no idea he's a wrestler, but he's changing people's lives with DDP yoga and everything. So you, so we do that, but I mean, we're all kind of jack of all trades, but the first year and a half, two years, we were all working out of his house, which is crazy. And uh, this week, this place has been open for four years.
0: But where I... And granted, I haven't spent a lot of time in the center where we're actually recording. Um, but I... from Looking from the outside, you succeed... Or you are in your happy place when you are actually teaching class. Yeah, I hate being at the desk. Yeah. I That's hate it same. so much. This is why I'm a fitness instructor. Yeah, yeah. and it's
1: <laughs> just like I... And what Dallas would tell me... Um, He'd look at me and he's just like, did you ever think? Yeah. No. Yeah, Never. He be here. I can do acting. I can do music. I, and there's even still part of me. I don't know if I'm completely 100% comfortable with my skin being a fitness instructor. You know, and within this community, I mean, within this community, the DDPO community has made me feel like a celebrity. It really does. Because outside of here, it's just, it's Garrett Sakahara, but with the team red headband and everything like that. And I mean, it's just like, oh, we've done your workouts on the app. It's so cool. It's so different. Yeah. And um,
0: so what do you, and, and you know, you're still on the journey. Yes. You are still looking to lose weight. You mm-hmm. still like I do too, you know, have those ups and downs mentally. Yeah. So what are some of the things that you practice? What are your habits where you feel yourself kind of, Going downhill, or you feel some slip ups coming. Um, what do you do?
1: Um, what I what I have to do, and it's funny. Like we have so many success stories. So when I go to like these workshops, you know, people want to come up and meet me. But a lot of times, I'm looking on social media and seeing what they're doing, mm-hmm. and I let them know oh, my God, you've, like, re-inspired me to kind of get back on. And they're like, you would say? I go, yeah. I pay attention on social media, especially in our community. Um, what I have to do, and I, I think what it is, is once I get around that 250 mark, I yeah. start to get comfortable. Okay. I get too comfortable. I'm like, oh, my God, I got another 20, 30 to go. I'm fine. And then you kind of go back up and fluctuate. And I think what a lot of it is, and I tell some of the people that I coach, the the, the sentence or the the, the saying Food for fuel, not for pleasure. Mm. I need to go back to the basics, and it's just like I'm a foodie. But, like, now it's just like if I'm teaching two, three classes a day, I just need to get nourishment and everything so I don't pass out. Right. But it doesn't have to be, like, all the comfort food and all the bad food that I probably shouldn't be eating and stuff like that. Um,
0: What about when you get into that mental headspace where it's, you know – you, yeah. feel, you feel, cause you can, you can feel it. Like people that have been through it, like, you know, and for me, I've got my habits and the things that I need to do to stay well. Mm-hmm. Um. So like mentally for you, what does that look like?
1: What I need to do. And I think it happened a lot this year because what I would do, I was, I'm, um, I shouldn't say I was, cause I still am. I've just tried to be better about it. I'm a people pleaser. Mm. And I would and I don't want to put anyone out yeah. and I don't want people to feel like they need to help me. I'm, I'll, I will help someone out real quick, but if it comes to that, I don't want to put people out. What I need to realize is like, for example, I've had a really good friend uh, lose his wife and lose his two children in the last two and a half years. And I sit there and look at him and I see how inspirational he is and how positive he is. And obviously there's good days and bad days. But, you know, he, I look at him and I'm just like, man, you're that 1% that would be able to do what you're doing. Right. Anyone else, you probably throw in the towel or do everything like that. And so sometimes I would look at him, his name's Hayden, Hayden Walden, and I would just be like, I can't imagine... I'm going through stuff very, very minuscule Yes, as opposed to what you're going through. But then he turned it around and said, but if what you're going through is tough on you, it's important.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Six Feet Above. I'm your host, Megan Armstrong. Subscribe so you never miss another episode. And follow me on Instagram at Six Feet Above Podcast to keep the conversation going. Tune in next week for a brand new episode. This episode is a product of Audiographies, produced by Dinor Sapolia, edited by Jacob Smolian, and the music was by Keenan Willis, funded by yours truly. I'll see you next time.